starting in verse 50 and reading through to the end of the chapter. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruptible, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for Pastor Paul as he opens this word up to us. We thank you and and ask your blessing upon Laura as she shares her testimony in such a powerful way with others. And for today, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your servant Paul and that you would use him to bring glory to yourself not only in this church, but in each one of our lives. So speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. So we finally arrived at the last message. This last message on this series on the sanctified life. And uh, what I'm trying to do today is I'm trying to uh, make a bridge, actually, into the next little mini-series that I'll be doing, which has got to do with heaven and the afterlife. So uh, this one is a message about the transition, as it were, from this life to the next life for the Christian. And that there is a connection between what we do in this life and our sanctification, our living for Christ here and our thinking Christianly here and the next life, which is, as I like to call it, the real life. Um, You've heard me say many times before that this life, although it's not to be despised by any means, is kind of like standing on the doormat outside the door And uh, with all of its troubles and and so on, it seems to be a big deal right now. But once the door opens for us into glory, and once we step through, the doormat is forgotten. Then we're really where we need to be. And so this message on the sanctified life is about the fact that 
God has, has a plan, and that plan for us ends in corruption putting on incorruption. Corruption putting on incorruption. And it is put this way, that this corruption must put on incorruption. Must put it on. But let's uh, first define what the Bible means by corruption and incorruption. When something is corrupted, it is twisted and it is uh, corroded and uh, it is not in the condition it's supposed to be in. Maybe it's corrupted in all kinds of different ways, perhaps through rust, perhaps through poison, perhaps through age, perhaps through moral declension and sin and wrong choices. Perhaps a combination of all of those things. Certainly we are aware of our corruptions. We are aware of our bodily decay, unless we are um, Laura and Emily's age and so on. But we are aware once we get past a certain tipping point in uh, this life that the body tends to go downhill. And we don't bounce back as quickly as we used to bounce back. And we ache more. This body, and he's particularly talking about the body here, is corruptible. Well, what's the point of taking a corruptible body into eternal life? Not going to last for very long, is it? It's already, you know, failing us here. Transporting that wreckage up to heaven means we're going to, you know, we'll probably end up dying within a year or two of of uh, being up there. That would be a, a big disappointment. Not only that, but we could not, I don't think, physically stand glory. Glory, that the, uh, the word has to do with weight, has to do with uh, the greatness of something, the gravity of something. And so the greatness of glory, I think, would crush us if we were not prepared for it. So that is what corruption means. What does incorruption mean? Well, incorruption means having a body that is suited to glory and immortality, to a new reality, to a new creation. from a new understanding of reality from our minds. Our minds will no longer be clouded by sin or clouded by uh, the uh, forgetfulness or whatever, or confusion or ignorance. A new understanding of why the world is the way that it is why we were created, 
the way that we were created. Right now, we see through a glass darkly, then face to face. There's a big difference between those two things. Very big difference. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, says that we we only see very obscurely. We don't see very well. We see enough. The Bible gives us enough information. Our experience with the Lord gives us something, but it gives us just a little glimpse. Imagine if that glass, that um, thing that obscures our view, was taken out of the way. And imagine that the eyes with which we see, the mind with which we interpret, that that's wholly changed too. So seeing with new eyes, with a new mind, with a new interpretation and understanding. That's coupled together with a glorified body is what he means by incorruption. He begins the passage here, doesn't he, by saying, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. This is his way of saying that there has to be a transformation. It's not like, you know, we, um, we pass out of this world and our, if, before Christ comes, our spirit goes to be with God. And then, you know, when Christ comes back out of the dust, This body is brought back together again and fitted to our eternal souls. No, this body is done away with. This body's for here, for now, for this time. It's not for eternity. There's another body, a glorified body. Oh yes, like this, there's a continuity involved but it doesn't involve this and it doesn't involve all of the other issues that we may have with ourselves. It is glorified. Flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is so wonderful, so glorious, so different yet the same that there needs to be a change, a transformation. There will be. If you're a Christian, it's all taken care of by God. It's already ahead for you. This corruption must put on incorruption. Look at verse 53. I didn't make that up. It says it. This corruption must put on incorruption. This mortal, this mortal body must put on immortality. Well, there we are. You're already set on the way, do you see? God's going to sort that out for you, but that change must occur. It's not just that you get whisked off to heaven, but you get changed in order to be in heaven. The 
context of this is actually the return of Christ and what Christians call the rapture. So this is coupled with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 at the end there. But what it says is that there must be a change. This is the second point. There must be a change. Let me uh, read that out for you. Behold, verse 51, I tell you a mystery. So this is something that wasn't revealed before. It's something that's new. We shall not all sleep, that is, die, but we shall all be changed. Whether we the body dies or not, we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. That change is absolutely necessary for our full sanctification to come to pass. That sanctification is uh, where we pass from struggling every day with ourselves and with the old nature, with sin, with the world, the flesh, and the devil. where we constantly disappoint ourselves and I'm sure we let God down and others. And we, that old us, will be gone. The real us, which is at the center of all of that, continues. Just not dragged down by all of the problems of the curse and sin and death and temptation and the rest of it. And we are changed into what God wants us to be for fellowship with him forever. For communion with him, face to face, remember? Face to face. Imagine that. And so we're going to be changed. And this change will happen when the Lord returns. Paul here indicates that it will be at the last trumpet, verse 52. What is the last trumpet? Well, there are different interpretations of this. Uh, This is not the last trumpet in the book of Revelation. Okay, There are all kinds of trumpets throughout uh, Scripture. The trumpet announces something. Now, we don't normally use trumpets to announce things nowadays, but they did in the ancient world. In fact, they did up until uh, probably a couple of hundred years ago. The messenger would come and they would blow the trumpet a few times and then the announcement or the the revealing would happen, you see? And so when the last of those trumpets sounds, that change will happen. The way that I understand this, and not alone, 
is that Christians who are alive at the time that Jesus Christ is ready to rapture them away, to take them out of this world, will hear the sound of a trumpet. And on the last blast of that trumpet, they will be changed. You say, will other people hear that trumpet? (laughs) I've no idea. Whether the saved, the, the lost will hear it, I don't know. Although I would not be surprised if as a witness against them, they actually heard it. And in listening to this trumpet and being distracted by it, they won't realize that, the, that on the last blast, after that, they look around and the Christians will be gone. We'll be gone and we'll be changed and we'll be with the Lord. That has to happen to you. And this brings us to the third point, which is surely when this transformation happens. And if you go to be with the Lord before that, well, then you're just twice a winner, aren't you? What better word than victory can be used? Verse 54. When this corruptible has put on incorruption, when this mortal, this mortal body has put on immortality, so it's an immortal body, and and, uh, none of the problems with disease, age, and uh, the rest of it, the curse, is attached to it. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. In 2 Corinthians 5.4, there's another slightly different uh, way of saying that, which I will come to in a few moments. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death seems to swallow everything up. I mean, what gets in the way of death? When death comes, it gets everything, doesn't it? Nothing escapes death. Nobody escapes death. People live and they may wield a great deal of power for a certain amount of time and people may be intimidated uh, with them for several sets of Years and it seems as though they're here for a great deal of time because they're here when we're here. But then they die. I mean, just think of it in in terms of something that's that's rather trivial. Just think of the uh, the film stars that you grew up with. It seemed you know they were in every other movie when you were growing up, and now. You don't see them in the movies anymore. I mean, their their time has passed. There are other stars now, and their time will pass. The same with pop stars, the same with presidents and, you know, people in the news. They go in and out of the news. People forget about them. 
Well, that um, that way of looking at the world, that seeming victory for a sev- uh, just a, a small set of years, what is that when compared with leaving all of the pains and the troubles and the struggles behind and replacing them with a whole new set of joys and a whole new set of happinesses so that everything is attuned to you and you are attuned to everything else and it never gets out of tune. We Christians have trusted in the message of God that included death. Right at its core, we have a cross, the symbol of death. But that cross has been vacated. Jesus no longer hangs on it. He did, he died on it, but he was taken off, put in a tomb, and he rose again from the dead. He not only rose again from the dead, but he defeated death. He overcame death with life. Death had no claim on him. Death had no power over him. And the genius of the gospel is that if you've trusted in Jesus and you've been incorporated, as we saw last week, in Christ, then you are counted in his death, you died in Christ, and then you also are connected to the resurrection of Christ and his glorification. Far too powerful for death to do anything about. This is why Paul, in verse 55, says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Well, there isn't a sting, there isn't a victory. We have the victory. Jesus has pulled the sting. Death does seem foreboding. This is the only life that we know. So death is a real thing and of course we face it and we pray for people who are about to take that journey. But death is not the end and death is not a great monster at the end of our lives. Death is just a door that when we meet it, opens up into life again. There's no sting in death for the Christian. There's no victory for the grave and for Hades. Paul says in verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. That's true. But since Jesus 
has taken our sin upon him and it's been punished in him and sin is no longer accounted by God as ours. He no longer sees sin in you because of Jesus. And you're not under the law because you're under the new covenant in Christ. Well, do you see? Nothing's going to stop this change. Nothing's going to stop this victory. You have it. You are victors. Not that you've done very much or I've done very much to obtain it. But we did what was required. We trusted that Jesus, the Son of God, died for our sins, rose again for our justification, and that in him and in him alone is eternal life and forgiveness. We've done that. With God's help, we've done that. And therefore, we are the victors. We're just waiting to get to the finish line. But God will get us to the finish line. We may still be running the race, but we'll get to the finish line. And that finish line is our final sanctification, the fourth point here. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a message about the sanctified life. Remember some of the ground that we've covered. I talked about at the beginning the fear of God. Do you remember that? Three sermons on the fear of God. You say, I don't remember that. It's too too long ago. I don't even remember what you preached last week. But the fear of God. We hold God in awe for his majesty, for who he is. We fear him, we don't fear man. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and it's the beginning of knowledge, knowing ourselves and knowing about the world, and knowing how everything's going to end. That knowledge is what gives us peace, do you see? And hope. And so putting that into practice, we have wisdom to live this life. We yield to the spirit that is sanctification and holiness. We have a hard time doing that. I have a hard time doing that. But we must keep on, press on, trying to yield to him. We talked about a number of issues along those lines, which I'm not going to go over all of those different sermons that were preached on that, but we spoke about the Christian mind and the Christian outlook, that there is a particular cast of mind that a Christian is supposed to have, and it is not the cast of mind that the media and the world wants to mold you to. It needs to be different. 
different values, different opinions, different outlooks. This world is in the power of the evil one and he's an out, he's a liar. And therefore this world is full of lies. More lies, I am sure, than we are even aware of. I'm sure there's some whoppers that we've believed that will get sorted out on the other side of this life. But we need to engage our minds in this Christian life. If we're not willing to do that, then we haven't really been transformed. We haven't really died to ourselves, put ourselves on the altar, and we're not in a position to renew our minds, which is what Paul tells us to do in Romans 12. And with a renewed mind, we could look then at the golden rule again. We can understand why it makes sense. We can understand why we are to treat others as we ourselves want to be treated. We understand the value of others. And we understand the application of that. Remember then I got into that little mini-series within the series which dealt with hot-button issues because I wanted to take this into the real world. And the first question I asked might seem to be a daft question. What is a person? That was a sermon title. What is a person? Why did I ask that? Everybody knows what a person is, surely. Good grief. No, not according to the world. Because a human being is not necessarily a person in the world's definitions. A baby in the womb is not necessarily a person, an older person, an older human being whose life or faculties are not deemed to be sufficient, evidently loses personhood and can be euthanized. So we had to deal with that and all of those other things that come from that. And a Christian cannot agree with abortion and a Christian cannot agree with euthanasia and LGBTQ the twisting of gender. This is God's prerogative. And your and my opinion about it changes nothing. But it might reflect whether we're bought into a lie or whether we'll face the truth. And if we don't stand for the truth as Christians... Where will people find it? Final sanctification is when everything is brought to the place where God in his original creation wanted it to be. But it will be even better than that. We will be utterly separated to God in all of the ways that we need to be separated to God. And we will be never connected again to the world and never connected to evil and never connected to the, to sin and the curse ever. Final 
sanctification, closing the door on all of the things that disturb us and trouble us. Going forward into eternity in this new life, this new way. You say, describe it for me. I can't, although I'm going to try in the next few sermons. But I can't do it justice. And there isn't a great deal of information given in it. But it's sufficient for us to know that it includes a glorified mind, a sinless spirit joined together in communion with the saints and with God himself in God's perfect new creation, in his kingdom. I said that uh, 2 Corinthians had uh, this expression that we find in 1 Corinthians 15:54, where death is swallowed up in victory. 2 Corinthians has it slightly differently in chapter 5 and verse 4. The apostle says this, For we who are in this tent, that's what he calls this body, groan, being burdened, Not because we want to be unclothed, but because we want to be clothed. Further clothed, as he puts it. That mortality might be swallowed up by life. That's it. Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. That life that overcame death. That life that is in us through the Holy Spirit, that life that will transform us into more life and leave death and everything connected with death behind it. So let's try to live in, uh, in conformity with that. Try to live a life that mirrors that. We'll struggle. I struggle. But let, if we remind ourselves of these great truths then the hope that's generated within us, the joy that that generates within us, will be the engines that help us to overcome ourselves. Let us try to lead a sanctified life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless this series and these messages to our hearts and our minds. Pray, Father, that you, through your Spirit, will guide us and help us, especially in those times when we're struggling with the flesh and we're struggling, Lord, with um, different issues that uh, come upon us. Lord, help us to push past those, be better than those. Help us to realize, Lord, we have to die to self and live to you. And that reflects faith and hope in the life that you are going to give us, the change and the victory that's ahead of us. My last prayer in this series is 
that that change will come very soon. In Jesus' name, amen.